0: Before the beginning began, there was God. So before the world began, before time began, there was God. And since there was a beginning, we also know that in Genesis there is a beginning, At the end, in the book of Revelation there is an ending, when time will be no more. So God created man, Adam and Eve, and he says to Adam and Eve, this is your place. Now not only is he saying to them, uh, this is your place. He's saying that time and this planet are yours. So God then says to Adam and Eve, where he writes out a contract, and says, Adam and Eve, this is your place. I give you this contract. Time and this planet are yours. Now, he says, you've got one commandment. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the reason for the commandment is this. God owns this place. You are stewards, you are caretakers of this place, and I give you the deed, but I never want you to forget who owns this place. So, and God isn't, you know, saying you're off and on your own. God comes every day. God is with him. In the cool of the day, God comes down and walks with Adam and Eve as a friend with a friend. So, Mankind then, Adam and Eve, had this place. They had the contract. Satan comes. What does Satan do? Satan decides that he is going to tempt Adam and Eve. What does Satan want? You see, evil is so evil. Evil is so evil. Evil is so ridiculous and naive, stupid, that Evil wants to destroy God, wants to destroy God's creation, wants to destroy the relationship that man has with God. So evil comes along and says, hath God really said? Did he tell you not to eat or even look on? So if if we did a study on this, we would see that God gave them one commandment, don't eat of the tree. Evil comes along and twists that around God doesn't even want you to look at it. Because in the day that you look at it, you're going to be like him. He's withholding something from you. So therefore, he begins to tempt by changing the word of God. Even when Jesus was tempted, Satan came to, to Jesus and tempted him. And Satan used the word of God and twisted it. It wasn't word for word, it wasn't verbatim, but he twisted it and took it out of context. Even whenever Jesus was tempted by Satan. The temptations are, you can put temptations into three categories. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Lust of the eyes is going to make me look good. Lust of the flesh is going to make me feel good. Pride of life its going to make me more than what I am. Every temptation in our life comes in one of those three categories. It's going to make me look good. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to make me more than what I am. So Adam and Eve, they gave in to this temptation. And Adam and Eve, as they ate of the fruit, gave the contract of time and place to evil. So Satan took the contract. He has it. He has the contract. He's called the Prince and Power of the Air. He took the contract that was meant for man, and God created it and give it to, gave it to man, but he gave it to man for a time. So we look at this when Adam and Eve did this, man lost. What did mankind lose? They lost their relationship with God, the relationship was broken. Why? Because of sin. The sin was missing the mark. They, Adam and Eve didn't match up with the mark that God said. Don't eat of the tree. One commandment. Why? Because I want you to know who owns this place. So they died physically and they died spiritually and they lost out on their relationship with God. That happened when the contract was broke. You know, notice in the garden there was another tree was the tree of life. The tree of life was that they would live forever. So mankind was created to live forever. Mankind was not created to fall. But see, God gave us a choice. So in Christ, when Jesus Christ came and died upon the cross, what did he do? He, st- he took back, not the contract, but he took back what happened when the contract was broken. The contract is still owned by Satan, prince and power of the air. He still owns its place, but only for a time. In Christ, you and I take back what, what Christ had come to give us in the first place, a relationship with God, that we, that we are in a right relationship with God, we are alive spiritually, and we are alive physically, eternal life, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is the firstfruits of them that slept. Trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. We have eternal life, we have an eternal relationship with God, and that we have his word that is a greater contract than this. We have a greater contract, and the contract is the word of God that God has given us to overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The world is not necessarily people who are outside of God, but people who are influenced by this former contract or this contract that is now owned by or held by Satan, and he is using it to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So everything that we lost in the fall, we regain in Christ. So we overcome evil... By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's what's written in the scriptures in Revelation. We overcome him, evil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So when Christ died upon the cross, his blood purchased our salvation. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that our sin could be forgiven and that we could regain what we lost. So now, we are in this relationship with God. We are in this right relationship with God, but yet we are still facing temptation. Satan is a defeated foe. Death is conquered, but yet we still die. We are in a right relationship with Christ, but we are still tempted. So he's still here doing his thing, trying to destroy what God has created. Eternal life in heaven with Christ But yet we find that Satan, and and that he is still there trying to destroy what God has created. He He is so angry and so bitter over his defeat that he wants to destroy everything that is associated with God. And so his desire, evil's desire, is to destroy mankind. And mankind, though, has a choice to choose to serve God or not to serve God to know the truth and the truth shall set you free and so we find that when we come to eternal life when time is no more satan and evil and all that will be cast into the lake of fire and that we will live with God for forever in eternity so sandwiched between eternity past and eternity future is time <laughs> and in this time we live and so in this time, Satan has a contract that was given by God to man. Man gave it to Satan. And Satan says, I got the contract. But God says, I've broken the effects of the contract. Separation and death. So, we then are faced with, in our life, as with what um, is being written here in the scripture, go back to that, where, when Peter is writing it here, He's saying to the, to the people, and he's saying to these individuals in, in chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, so be content with who you are. Humble yourself before God. So when we look at our life, sometimes we just don't like who we are because look at, we look at our society, society tells us you should be like so-and-so. We've got an image out there of what the perfect person looks like, what the perfect leader looks like, what the perfect person, you know, husband, wife, child, parent, grandparent. We got all those perfect people out there and those things are presented to us as if these are what your goals are. So we're not good enough in the present place to achieve these things. It's a temptation. The temptation is, if you're not good enough, you never will be good enough. And so it's kind of a waste of time and a waste of effort. But, Peter is saying to the church that he is to the individuals he's writing with, in because they they're entering into the same problem. They're entering into the same problem, and Peter says, "So be content with who you are." The King James says, "Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand." The Christian to whom Peter is writing are under severe persecution. They're suffering. They're being abused. They're persecuted for believing in and obeying Christ. They have been described as crushed, overwhelmed, devastated, torn. These situations and feelings are blinding them to the vision of hope and threatening to destroy them in their life. And so Peter's telling them, be content with who you are. Well, we're a Christian. If we were not Christians, we would not be suffering this way. In our society, we look at it and we say, if I were simply better, smarter, richer, poorer, if I was this, if I were that, I would be better off. If I lived in this place or that place, had this job or that job, this income or that income, we're always looking at it and we never quite measure up. Peter says, by the inspiration of God, be content with who you are. Remember the purpose of evil? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. If we are not content with who we are. Now, contentment is not meaning, um, well, you just sit around and do nothing. That's not that type of, (laughs) that's that's something else. (laughs) But stealing, killing, and destroying. So be content with who you are. Do not worry about position and status. Wanting things to be, I wish I were somebody else. I wish I were somebody else. Now, um, it, it's it's a difficult thing because I don't, I don't know if I don't know if anybody has ever really been happy with who they are. I could have hair, and I would be better. <laughs> I could be thinner and stronger than I what I was when I was younger. Um, I could be you know a little more. If I'd applied myself more, maybe I would have had another degree in such and such and. I could have done this, and I could have done that. If I hadn't made this choice or that choice, if my family hadn't been so poor, maybe I wouldn't be this place. And if my family had been, you know, hadn't been farmers, perhaps I could be some, something else. And you know, we look at these things and we wonder. I remember driving through town. You know, we, had, we lived near Coal Run, and you know, we we had different farms that we farmed, and we were always. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, as farmers, you know, they were we were kind of I always felt like people looked you know kind of looked down on you cuz you know you melt cows and and you do all that farming stuff and I'd drive through town in our tractor and I would say, well, I can go to the car dealer and say two Corvettes to go, please, you know. <laughs> you know, with our tractor because, you know, that's how much it costs and they didn't know how much it costs. And, you know, because I was discontent with who I was. <laughs> I was always prideful saying, you know what, I could buy two Corvettes with this machine and you can't, you know, and it comes from milking cows, you know? <laughs> you know. So, you know, you, we look at these things and we, we say we're not this or we're not that. But so be content with who you are. Recognize that God has placed you where you are and given you who you are for a purpose. Remember, you don't want to get to the top of the ladder only to discover that it's against the wrong building. <laughs> you know, we're always wanting to get to the top, but sometimes God has a different plan for us. And God has a way of spacing things out in a time period. So be content. Do not say. Do not. Um, do not become indifferent. Contentment is satisfied. Indifferent is I don't care. Do not pretend that you don't care and do not pretend that you're indifferent. Why? Because God's strong hand is on you. Okay? This is a very important message for us. God's hand is on you. Not because you're going to be somebody else or that God wishes you were somebody else. God wants you to be you. God wants me to be me with who I am, where I am, what I've learned, my background, my, what I've done, who i all this, God's hand is upon me now. See, these people were under severe persecution, and they, they were hoping, they were wishing that they were someplace else, that, you know, someplace else in the empire, someplace else that was not being so severely persecuted. And, and Peter's telling them, be content with who you are and where you are. Why? Because God's hand is upon you. God's strong hand is upon you. It's important to God and to our life that we recognize God's hand is upon us. Nothing can separate us from God's hand. Paul says it, neither life nor death, principalities or power, things present, things past, things to come. Nothing is able to separate us from God. So if God's hand is upon me where I am, why would I want to be somebody else and separate myself from God? Like, I'm going to be over here doing something else and God will be happy. No, God wants me to be where I am, learning what I'm doing and using the experiences that I have and who I have to become what God wants me to be. You know, Jesus in the boat on the Sea Sea of Galilee and he's with his disciples and he's sleeping in the boat. Storm comes up and, you know... The disciples, many of them are experienced seamen and they're afraid that their boat is going to sink. And they say, let's wake up Jesus because he doesn't know that we're going to die. (laughs) So they wake Jesus up and Jesus, you know, peace be still and the storm stops and wow, what kind of a God is this? What kind of a man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? What will we marvel at if we're not who we are, facing the storms that we face, living the life that we live? I mean, what are we going to marvel at? Are we going to marvel at the sameness? Wow, my life hasn't changed in 50 years. I'm as bored today as I was then. What a great life. Thank God. Well, you know, it can't get much better than this. I'm bored to death, and someday I'm going to die. Wow, In this boredness. <laughs> you see, in the sameness of life, we just kind of let it go. And what, what would life be like if there were no challenges, and there were no changes, and there were no storms, and there were no needs in our life? Because we are looking at that God's strong hand is on us, and it says... God's strong hand, and he will what? He'll promote you at the right time. He'll promote you at the right time. He'll do it in his timing. God's recognition is greater than anything in our lives. God is willing and able to bless us, but he will do so in his time. (laughs) I wish he would do it in my time, then I wouldn't have to get all upset and wish I were somebody else. You see, the temptation of Satan is, has God really said that his strong hand is on you? Has God really said that everything's going to work out for good in your life? Has God really said he'll take care of you? Look at what's going on around you. Look at other people and how they get this and they get that and how that they're blessed and whatever. Has God really said? Has God really come through for you in your trial? You know, do you know what doubt is? <laughs> doubt has to have a truth in order to be unexpected. If there is no truth, how can we say it isn't a truth? It's like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. I'm not going to sing for you, the sun will come up tomorrow. Well, I doubt that. (laughs) There has to be a truth in order for there to be a doubt. And the word of God is the ultimate truth. Now, I know people will say things that are, you know, in, in our political arenas, no matter who we are, people are going to say things and, and they're going to proclaim this as truth and we'll say, I doubt that. <laughs> you know, And that's okay because sometimes people have lied to us and some people have said things to get ahead and, they, and they've lied. But when we look at the word of God, the scripture, God says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It is evil that comes to us that causes us to doubt. And you and I have a truth that is in our life given to us by God. And in this word that God has given us, he says, be content with who you are and don't put on airs. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. God is going to do this. What does doubt say? Well, hath God really said There must be a truth in order for there to be doubt. Truth is that God's hand is on you. Evil comes. I doubt that. Why? Why does evil want us to doubt? Steal, kill, destroy. Rob you of your spiritual life. Rob you of God's best for your life and break your relationships. That's God, that's evil's intent. And because if evil can break us, we'll trust in something else other than God. <laughs> the Bible, God's word speaks it to us. The Holy Spirit makes it real to us and it brings us into it brings it into our heart with an affirmation and with power. There is a power in the word of God. There is a a spiritual power that comes in the scriptures that whenever we read them, whenever we pray them, whenever we expect them, that it is God at work bringing about this strength that comes to us. Evil's intent is to rob us of that strength. Hath God really said? So winning in your spiritual life, winning in our spiritual life is agreeing with God's word acting positively upon it, even whenever it doesn't happen the way that we think that it should. You know, I've wanted things to happen differently. (laughs) We've all prayed for things that didn't happen the way that it should have or the way we think it should have. But you know what? God has a way of bringing it in our faithfulness to God. He has a way of bringing it around and teaching us something in our life that is more important for eternity than for us getting what we want at this moment. See, we are eternal beings, and we have a lifetime to live. And getting what we want at this moment may not be exactly what is going to be the best for us in a lifetime. So God has a way of bringing his word into our life and Satan is there trying to take the contract and saying, I'm the prince and power of this world. Evil's going to win. And, you know, look at the people who have given up on God. Look at the foolishness of people who are serving God. It's like, it's not foolishness. It's called faith. And faith has a way of sustaining us in the difficult times that we're not caught up in the feelings of the moment that take us off course. We're not caught up in the discouragement or the things that don't happen in our time frame. And we lose hope. We never lose hope in God. What does it say? It says, live carefree before God. The King James says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Carefree is not Home. carefree is I have taken my needs and my, my difficult situations and I take them to God in prayer. I take them to God so I am living carefree, meaning that God is the one who is taking care of me and the cares that I have, I place them in God's hands and I must have wisdom and guidance to work through them. I must have wisdom and understanding to live my life in an understanding that God is going to care for me. So, in the daily struggles, we bring them all to God, and so I bring them to God, and I live in a carefree world, meaning that God will take care of me. And He is most careful with me. Most careful. Did you ever play ball in the house? <laughs> Not me. You know, my mother told me I was going to break the window so many times I finally did. <laughs> you know, I used to take the ball and I would throw the ball and bounce it off the couch. We didn't have one of them spring things that threw it back at you outside. We only had the couch inside. So I'd take the ball and throw it against the couch and bounce it back. And my mother said, don't do that, you're going to break the window. So I I listened to her. I broke the window. <laughs> Big old picture window. Threw the ball right through it. It's not my fault, Mom. Yeah, you play ball in the house. You're gonna break the window. What do you? You know, there are some things that we're most careful with. Don't touch that vase. (laughs) Don't touch. Why? It's 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 important. Don't touch that. There. You know. Do you let the kids, the little kids, play with everything in the house? (laughs) The valuable things. Why? Because there are some things you have to be most careful with because they're fragile. In our life, God is most careful with you. Meaning that he knows where we are fragile. He knows where we are most easily hurt. He knows exactly what makes us up, what our makeup is. And he is most fragile with us. I mean, he's most careful with us because we are fragile. Evil doesn't have that sensitivity. God does. God is most careful with you. And doubt will cause us to challenge those fragile areas of our life. And we end up shattering them. Doubt takes the truth and questions it but God is most careful with you. Doubt says God does not care for me, but God says I am most careful with you. There must be a truth that we believe for doubt to be effective. You see, doubt couldn't have a foothold in our life if we didn't have something that we expected. People who are totally indifferent don't have much doubt doesn't really matter what happens. doesn't really matter if this happens or that happens. Well, what do you believe in? I believe in nothing. Do you believe in God? Don't have to believe in God. Do you believe in devil? No, I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in God. Don't believe in the devil. Where are you tempted? There's no truth. How can you, be tr- how can you doubt where there is no truth? You see, people are, we look at people and people tell lies and they say, believe me. God says, this is the truth and the truth will set you free. Take it and it's yours and it will work. Oh, I doubt that. God doesn't try to make us believe. It's just like in, in the Bible it says that, you know, there is no explanation of God. God just is. Where did God come from? He is. Before the beginning began, there was God. Always was, always will be. Time is sandwiched in the middle. So we are coming to our life and coming to this understanding of what God is doing in our life and the truth is presented to us and doubt comes along. See? If we are doubting something, it's only because there is a truth that God wants you to believe and evil wants you not to. Imagine that. So, it has to to take a positive affirming word from God before there can be doubt. There must be a positive affirming word from God to your life before doubt can come and challenge it. Don't eat of that tree. Well, has God really said that? Why did God not want them to eat of the tree? So that they would understand that they don't own this place, God does. And in our life, God has let us know he owns this place. He breathed into us us the breath of life, and we are a living soul. We are going to live forever. And when time is no more, we're still going to be alive. We're still going to be alive because life cannot die. This body can perish, but life will never stop. And in our choices in life, choosing God, gives us the life that is eternal with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Without truth, there can be no doubt. So God's truth comes to us. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I have a destiny for you. I have a place for you. I have power for you. I have strength for you. I have a way of working things out to a divine good in your life. I have, you know, the word of God will come into your life and set you free. It will break the chains of bondage. It will break these things in your life. All of this is presented in the word. And we are called upon to choose to believe. God says it will work. Winning in our spiritual life, what do you say? What do you say? So be content with who you are. Do not put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote time. Live carefree before God, He is most careful with you. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce. It would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only one, you're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering isn't going to last forever. And it won't be long before this gracious God, who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Shall we stand? (laughs) So we choose to serve the Lord. We choose to allow God's word and God's truth to be in our life. We choose these things. And when doubt comes, it only affirms to us, I have a divine truth, and I'm not going to let go of it. When we doubt that things are going get, to get any better for us, then the evil's trying to get us to take that truth that God has given to us. It's going to get better. It's going to work out for you. It's, God has a plan and a purpose. Hold on to the truths, because... Evil's intent is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God's intent is to bless you. I am blessed. Amen? Amen. I am blessed. Say it. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Amen. Amen. So our focus is on God. I am blessed. Amen? Amen? I choose your blessing, Lord. Father, I choose you. I choose your blessing. I choose the truth of your word. I choose, Lord, life and victory, and hope. I choose these things, Lord, because they are your truths to my life. I choose them, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I choose this. I choose your plans, your purpose. God, I choose your graciousness, and your grace, and your mercy. I choose them, Lord, for you have given these truths into my heart and life. I ask your blessing, the affirmation of your word and your spirit upon me. I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, I choose life. life. Again, I choose life life. in Christ. Amen.